everybody. So we're so excited. We are here to go back in time and look at the movie year that is 10 years in the past. We're looking at 2008. And I'm Rachel and my friend Conrado is here to, uh, to, to do this. Yes, I am right here. I got the um, time machine ready <laughs> and the DeLorean and we'll go back to 2008. Yes. Magical time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, 2008 was actually a really big year for me because it was the year that I uh, uh, I, I quit my job in uh, that I had hated and was miserable at in 2000 in December 2007. 2008 was my first year, kind of on my own, doing my own thing. I started blogging in 2008, and wow. uh, yeah, so it was it was a very big year for me. Milestone year. Yeah. <laughs> So this was fun to look back at the movie year of 2008. And I think we have a very eclectic, really fun uh, group of movies we're going to talk about. Um, but before we dove into our top uh, 10 lists, uh, I thought it'd be fun to go over sort of the year in film as far as critical and box office success real quick. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, get us in the two. 2008 mindset yes that's right <laughs> what, what was america thinking in 2008 <laughs> right right okay so uh yeah so for the oscars that year uh we had uh best picture was slumdog millionaire mm -hmm. and it, it it did very well at the box yeah. at the um oscars we had uh it also won best screenplay Mm -hmm. and music uh, had music yeah. awards and uh, it won best director for Danny Boyle yeah, I think it won either eight or nine Oscars and I think uh it's the last movie to win that many Oscars yeah. I think I think so we haven't too. had in 10 years we haven't had another sort of big sweeper like Slumdog Millionaire mm -hmm. yeah yeah um, yeah because even you know the closest thing would have been La La Land if it had actually won this picture, but we know what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, uh, for about three minutes, it, it had it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So then we also had Kate Winslet winning in for the reader. I've never seen that film, but I get the That's feeling. Right. Yeah. I get the feeling it was more of a career career win. Uh, she's good in the movie, but the movie's not very good. I, yeah. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh yeah she'd been nominated a bunch of times and uh, there's a certain point where uh, they just decide okay you yeah, it. <laughs> yeah I, I think amy adams is waiting that she's been nominated i think five times <laughs> we'll see when that happens yeah um but uh but yeah uh then uh sean penn won for mm -hmm. milk good performance mm -hmm. and a pretty good movie too yeah uh, and then Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen that. Um, and uh, and then the big, probably the most notable winner as far as the acting, we had Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. Yeah. yeah also a great performance. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say that the talking about Heath Ledger, the this year for the Oscars was very... Uh, important in a historic way because it was uh, the year of the dark knight and also wally which were big hits with critics and box office and a lot of people thought they were going to get best picture nominations and they didn't instead we had a bunch of movies that people weren't that excited about mm -hmm. and that caused a big 
that started a big conversation that a lot of people think it's because the Dark Knight didn't get in that they did changed it to 10 nominees for Best Picture starting the yeah. next year. And I don't think that's really really worked out all that well. I mean, I guess there's been some more kind of uh, uh, mainstream picks that have gotten nominated, like some of the hidden figures uh, that, and I think that was kind of the goal to make it sort of more popular films could get nominated. Uh, but I don't know. What do you, do you think it's worked out? Uh, I don't know, because I think some popular films have gotten nominated since, but I think it, they, a lot of those movies seemed like they would have gotten nominated regardless, like mm-hmm. Avatar or Get Out. These are both very popular, but it also seemed like they had a lot of momentum because they also got Best Director nominations and they did really well. So yeah, I think they would have gotten in with five nominees as well. So I don't know. I do like yeah. to have more nominees just because that gets people talking about more movies. And that's mm-hmm. what I like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like something like Logan or something like that is getting nominated. You know, it still right. has to be a kind of a... Like something like Hidden Figures, which is kind of still in the Oscar kind of camp. Sure, <laughs> kind of. we haven't had our comic book best picture superhero yet, but maybe yeah. next year Black Panther, I think, could be. Yeah, so yeah, it could. If That's anyone's true. gonna make it, could be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so okay, uh, then we're gonna talk about the the turkeys the bad movies uh, of oh, right. that, <laughs> that year. Um, the Love Guru was the oh. big eyesore that year. Uh, th- this movie literally put Mike Myers into exile. Like, he hasn't made a movie since, except for, the sh- I guess, Shrek. I think Shrek 4. Right. But, uh, but he, he was so... Uh, he, took, he, took the, he took the loss and then the criticism mm-hmm. very very personally which is sad like it's not i mean it is i guess maybe i think he was like a producer or whatever like but mm-hmm. it's just a movie like you shouldn't that that makes me sad that he took it so well, personally uh i don't know if you think 10 years is a long time or a short time but things have changed a lot just thinking of the love guru like i yeah. don't think that movie could get made today can you imagine no what would how people would react to the idea of Mike Myers or someone like him playing an Indian guru? It would be like impossible. And no, the only way is if it was like one of these, um, like Adam Sandler made for Netflix movies. I could see it there. Um, right. I those think movies have then, no shame. Right. I think even then we have crossed uh, a line. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of line that we wouldn't cross anymore. I think. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, just I've it's it's just don't take it so personally poor guy poor guy but yeah. anyway uh but yeah then we also had the hottie and the naughty with paris Hilton oh right that year <laughs> yeah so these were the real turkeys because i haven't seen any of them <laughs> i actually haven't either um <laughs> i have seen the next what happens in vegas which was abysmal oh. Uh, you know, I'm a rom-com girl, I, and I, I like my yeah. rom-coms. But the problem that a lot of uh, the bad rom-coms have is they forget that we have to like the character. We have to like the couple. We have to want them to get together. We have to want them to be happy. And people forget that that the thing about Pride and Prejudice, because people think, oh, we just got to make them hate each other, but they're, like, really in love. But the problem mm-hmm. with with that is they forget that Pride and Prejudice 
you see both Lizzie and Darcy as being beloved by their friends and family Mm -hmm. many times throughout this. They just don't get along personally, but we know they're good people. So we like them and we want them to be happy. And we just know that as soon as they, they work all this out, then they will be great together, you know? And so uh, people forget that and think, Oh, we just got to make them hateful the whole movie. And that's not, Mm. that does not work. And that is definitely the case with what happens in Vegas. I only know one thing about what happens in Vegas and maybe we'll be talking about it later in the episode actually. So I'll save it for later. Okay. Um, The other Turkey, at least in my opinion, was M night Shyamalan's the happening. (laughs) Yeah, I did see that one. Um, (laughs) It's good for a laugh, I think, but it's probably one of the most, uh, insane Mark Wahlberg performances (laughs) in which he plays, uh, A science teacher, I think, what? right? <laughs> yeah. Um, science yeah. teacher. It's a. Uh, it's quite something. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 yeah. I mean, they have a whole section of dialogue just about hot dogs. So, what yeah. are you, you going to do? <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it was super bad. And I personally, I know you like this movie, but I thought it was it was probably the most disappointing movie of my whole life. Was Indiana oh, wow. Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal oh. Skull. Uh, I didn't I, go as far as to say I like that movie, okay. but I think I like some things about it. I was so excited for it, and so you know, there's nothing to sink a movie more than very high expectations, and and mm-hmm. uh, so that's part of it. I was very excited, and I understand what they were trying to do uh, with mm-hmm. like moving it up into a '50s pulp movie as opposed to a '40s pulp movie, but yeah. it just didn't work for me. It was just too sloppy, and uh, and. I don't know. I just didn't like it. I didn't like the nuclear explosion saved by a fridge. And I didn't like the the cheesy Russian accents or the terrible CGI monkeys or the, I was just so mad. <laughs> I was, I was very mad back then, but 10 years later and after having seen it again, not too long ago, I have to say it's not as bad as, as some of us remembered. Yeah. I haven't, least, that is fair. I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time. It's not as bad, and the the whole nuclear fridge thing, the beginning of the movie, is actually, I feel like it's really good. It's like a very good set piece. I think it's a very good beginning to the movie, and then it has some problems after that, but, you know. Fair, fair enough. So the box office for 2008, we had, oh, right. uh, we had number 10 was Dr. Seuss Horton, Here's a Who. It was a, it was a wow. good year at the box office for animation. There were... Yeah. Um, Oh, quite a few. Um, then we had Quantum of Solace, the James Bond movie. James Bond. Um, Madagascar 2, uh, which is absolutely horrible. Um, I think. I, I haven't seen, I don't remember anything about it almost. I remember thinking it was better than the first one when I first saw it, but that was, you know, 10 years ago. I didn't like it at all. It's just not my kind of humor. But, um, uh, but anyway, uh, and then <laughs> Twilight. Classic. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, Kung Fu Panda. Really good movie. And then Wally. Also a good movie. Yep. Hancock, which surprised me. I didn't realize that was such a big hit. So never seen it, but this is back when Will Smith was yeah. uh, a sure thing at the box office. It's actually not that bad. Like it's it's kind of messy, but mm. it's sort of a creative, you know, different kind of superhero movie. Uh, it's the- it's the Deadpool of its time, almost. Right? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, um, and then Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skull is number four, Classic. or number three, 
Iron Man is number two, mm-hmm. and The Dark Knight is number one. So there you go. We're going to talk about Iron Man later, but um, let's talk about The Dark Knight. It's number one at the box office, and mm-hmm. uh, this is the elephant in the room. The Dark Knight didn't make either one of our lists, and yeah. that would probably be shocking to many listeners or slash viewers. Don't turn off the podcast <laughs> just yet. <laughs> and like, at least for me, I was not trying to just be like a contrarian or be like a hipster. Uh, why? What about for you? What did you? What? How do you feel about The Dark Knight? And why didn't it make your list? I think The Dark Knight's a good movie. Um, the Dark Knight was actually my favorite movie of 2008 back in 2008 Mm -hmm. Uh, but i was i think 16 years old at the time so that makes a lot of sense it's the sort of movie that a 16 year old boy would love um but it's actually a pretty good movie um i just have seen more movies since and like other movies better than i like the dark knight i will say the heath ledger performance um i still think it's one of the great performances that i have ever seen Mm -hmm. um he is great. I, it's hard to believe that someone can take that character, a character with that many quirks, and make it seem, you know, not like he's hamming it up or, you know, killing yeah. the scenery the whole time. So I think it's a fantastic performance. And the movie's really good. I just think it's a little too long. I always check out of it towards the end. By the time we get to the two boats, I am, like, over the movie. Yeah. Yeah, so when I first, I was a more gentle soul back in 2008, and I, uh, I, I, when I first saw it, uh, I was, it was too scary for me, it was too dark, and I, uh, uh, I, I know, I just didn't see dark movies really at all, and we'll talk a little more about that too, and, uh, and so, I had kind of a bad feeling. And then when the Dark Knight Rises came out and there was a whole shooting and everything, then I was kind of even more soured about the whole, like kind of the whole franchise. Hmm. Um, And so it wasn't until uh, a couple of, and I didn't even watch the Dark Knight Rises until like 2015 because I was just like, oh, this violent franchise. Again, it was a different me at that point. Anyway, and I, uh, and I finally uh, watched it kind of again with a more sort of critical analysis to figure out why everybody loved it so much and Mm -hmm. uh and i realized like oh yeah this is a really good movie um but i have to say that like sometimes the the fandom does maybe i am a slight bit of a contrarian because i i'm just so tired of people it being like it and empire strikes back are like the only good movies that anybody ever talks about you know what i mean like Mm. it's the empire strikes back of of 2018 it's the empire right. or it's the the dark knight i'm like there are other mm-hmm. good movies like i don't know it's just put on this pedestal that you can't like criticize it you can't like have any problems with it and my problem with the movie is that i i don't i don't think that uh that harvey's transformation is really earned and that's my biggest problem with it is that like we never really see him and rachel together as a couple we hardly except for like at a party we never see them being like intimate or like kissing she kisses bruce and so like to me the idea that he would give up all his morals because of rachel i just don't i don't know it doesn't quite work for me Uh, um yeah i think that's also part of why i kind of check out towards the end i feel like the harvey arc gets uh goes by really fast in the last part of the movie we kind of rushed by it um 
Yeah, yeah, which is like a really important thing for the movie. And and to be honest, like the other thing for me is that I'm just not that big of a Batman fan. I know it's like sacrilege to say, but I just don't mm-hmm. quite get the appeal like other people do. Because to me, Batman, the villains are always, always upstage the Batman. Batman. Yeah. As opposed to like you can hate, some people can hate the Marvel movies, but they're he- about the heroes. Like the villains usually are pretty lame and it's about the heroes. Right. They have the opposite problem. And I'm a hero person. You, you will never, ever win me over to a movie by having a great villain. That will never happen. <laughs> That's just not oh, my personality. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know. They're- so you heard that everybody send, please send Rachel recommendations <laughs> for movies with great villains that will change your mind. Yes, please. I, I, I'm always, I'm always willing to be changed. My favorite Batman movie is Mask of the Phantasm, the animated, and I love the animated series um, because I feel like that's the only mm. one that actually fleshes out Bruce as like a person with like, I don't know. That's, he's more interesting than the villains. Yeah. In my opinion. Batman Begins does a lot of that as well. Yeah. Batman a lot. It's, that's way too long. More than yes, I, I agree with you about that okay so there we go we got in the dark night out of the way we don't hate it i have it at 14 on my list uh and uh do you have any other do you have any other honorable mentions you wanted to mention real quick i do actually i have uh i had a hard time picking a a 10th movie for my list okay and there was a couple that i was floating around for a long time and three of them specifically that i really said i couldn't put in the list just because it had to be 10 yeah. So I'll go through them yeah. really quick. The first one is uh, Burn After Reading by the Coen Brothers, which is a sort of very dark comedy about sort of a bunch of doofuses who tried to uh, blackmail a sort of CIA operative in Washington. Uh-huh. And it's sort of this comedy about how the intelligence community is completely crazy and doesn't really work the way it's supposed to um so it's really funny but about a very dark subject and a subject that was definitely uh very timely back in 2008 um uh, the other is uh wendy and lucy which is a movie by Mm -hmm. kelly reichardt um starring michelle williams as uh basically a homeless woman who is trying to make her way to alaska where she's gonna try to find some work and she's going along with her dog lucy and at some point uh, something happens and uh, Lucy uh, gets lost and then this uh, woman is trying to find it and it's a very touching and very honest portrait about what's it like to uh, be homeless. I mean Mm. I don't know personally what it's like to be homeless but I imagine this movie has a lot of insight and feels very honest about it. It has a lot of heart. Yeah Um, I've wanted to see that. That's been on my list. It's very good. It looks good. It's really good. And the third one is uh, a classic to end all classics, the classic comedy Step Brothers, starring Will Ferrell <laughs> and John C. Riley, um, which I think it's brilliant because it takes this, which I'm going to talk about later, this very popular uh, comedic trope of the, of the last decade, which was the sort of story about the man-child who has to learn to become an uh, actual adult. Mm, and yeah. it almost goes extreme with it and presents two people who are not really like immature adults they're like teenage boys in adult men's bodies and it's this t- totally ridiculous almost um absurd comedy in which nothing makes sense and i think you just have to let go and 
let the movie take you along. So if you're up for that kind of thing, I think you'd enjoy it. If you're not, if you can't take, you know, movies that are 100% silly, then maybe stay away from this one. But I think it's hilarious and I think it's mm -hmm. a borderline masterpiece. Cool. All right. Yeah. I, a couple of honorable mentions for me. Uh, I, you know, I love documentaries um, and I was kind of sad that I couldn't fit a documentary into my list, but I have two that I liked that year a lot. Werner Herzog, we had encounters at the end of the world about this uh, expedition to Antarctica. What am I saying? Oh. Yeah. Antarctica and uh, these penguins and they're really cute. Mm -hmm. It's just um, really fun. I haven't I, seen it, but I do love Werner Herzog. So yeah, the best. And then man on wire uh, is great. Uh, it won the, won the Oscar that year. Uh, it's uh, about Philippe Petit and his walk across the uh, the Twin Towers in 1974, and uh, it's so much better than the Damascus movie. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, the walk. Yeah, that's right. That's the remake with yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Yeah, and then another like obscure movie that uh, I don't think gets enough love is called Phoebe in Wonderland. Uh, it's a, it doesn't hundred percent work, but it's, I really related to it at the time because it's about this, um, young girl, Elle Fanning. It was her, I think her first role. She's great. Uh, and she's, uh, has obsessive compulsive disorder and, uh, her mom is this writer, uh, and is writing and, and, uh, and her, and she's in this play of Alice in Wonderland. And so like some of her you see like little like delusions i guess that she has where she she's envisioning the characters from alice in wonderland and mm. uh like she doesn't actually go into wonderland uh but um it's really i thought a very moving uh depiction of and a very loving depiction of mental illness it's not cloying uh at all and i uh, i really related to it at the time because my sister had uh horrible uh ocd in episode i guess where she was just washing her hands like a million times a day and mm. it was just this really stressful thing for our family and so it was a very meaningful movie to me at the time uh but um uh but anyway so that one's worth i think checking out i also love the secret life of bees uh mm. it, it has a uh pretty much the whole cast is you know women of color and i love the book and i think they did a pretty good job like of, of, yeah. of telling the story that was directed by oh yeah gina prince bivewood who mm -hmm. uh, i haven't seen that one but i've seen uh what's it called love and basketball and then she did beyond the lights a couple of years mm -hmm. ago oh yeah 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 pretty good movies yeah those are good I also have a guilty pleasure spot in my heart for Mamma Mia. I know it's not a great movie, but I think it's kind of fun. So Mamma Mia, um, it's an insane movie. I <laughs> watched it not too long ago. It's crazy. I think everyone should rewatch Mamma Mia and just consider how much money this movie made and how sort of ridiculous <laughs> and almost campy, but in a very safe way. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting movie. Yeah, I mean, I like the musical on Broadway, and uh, and I like ABBA, and I don't know. It's just a guilty pleasure for me. It's got like tons of vacation porn and and uh, mm -hmm. and ridiculousness, and uh, so anyway, yeah. that, there you go. So that's 
that's 2008 for you. Uh, so, all right, let's get started with our list. So let's go. Yeah. So my number 10 on my list is the movie Ip Man. And this is a, uh, I mean, the plot really doesn't matter, but it's, it's about this supposedly about this guy, the Yip of Yip Man. He's the first martial arts master and he taught, um, of Wing Chun, I guess that's the thing. And, uh, and this is between 19, uh, 1930 and 1940s ish. Um, okay. and, uh, and, and he the, was a real guy, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Real guy, real guy. And, uh, this movie, I was blown away by the fight choreography. It is so exciting. And, uh, and it stars Donnie Yen and watching this movie, I was like, I'm even more mad at Rogue One for way underutilizing Donnie Yen because he is so amazing. And, uh, I don't know. It was one of the most incredible, uh, martial arts movies I think I've ever seen. I, and I, I, I was just blown away by, there's one scene in particular where he takes down like 30 guys and it feels totally legit and totally mm-hmm. <laughs> it was amazing uh anyway what what do you think of Ip, Ip man yeah i had never seen this movie i saw it for the first time to prepare for this podcast because it was on your list and i'm mm-hmm. glad you put it on it because Ip man rules yeah. Ip man the movie is good and even the character he rules he's like one of the most badass characters i've ever seen he's like the great kung fu master who's like totally serene but he can like take down 10 people in a row like you just said and i'm glad you mentioned that scene which i think he's uh fighting some a group of japanese sort of karate guys right Mm -hmm. and i think this movie really is really what's so special about that scene in particular but the movie in general and its relationship to martial arts i think is that it really uh, takes into account how hard and how violent it has to be you have to be in order to take down a person to knock someone out yeah. you know because a lot of movies we see people just like grab something uh and hit a person in the head and now uh, and then they pass out mm-hmm. but this movie really considers how much force you have to put into actually yeah. knocking a person out and i think that's what makes that scene so good and so visceral yeah it is. It's intense. It's not for the, if it wouldn't have been okay for the 2008 Rachel, but for <laughs> because like, because you hear and feel bones being broken. And I mean, it's intense, but it's, I don't know. I, as 2018 Rachel, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is intense, but at the same time, it's not like some sort of crazy gore fest or anything. No, so you don't never people who like action movies for the most part. Yeah you know they they'll be into it you maybe see a little blood but not it's not like a yeah it's not a blood blood fest but but not much not much yeah i i think if you if you like martial arts films you've got to see it it's really exciting and really well choreographed and filmed and yeah i remember i'm glad to hear you liked it because i remember your review of logan you talking about action movies and how uh you they just you didn't like most action scenes in movies. And, uh, and so the, this is, I think 
I can't imagine it being sort of more visceral and more exciting and more than this. You know, this yeah. is great. Well, yeah, just to touch on the action movie thing, I think it's uh, what you have to keep in mind about that is that this Ipman movie is comes from a different country. And I think yeah. the problem with action movies for me is with the current sort of blockbuster American movies in which I think a lot of the action is not really fully taken into account as a artistic part of the movie. I know a lot of the big movies just, you know, get uh, previous artists to think about what the action sequences are going to be way before they start and way before the director comes on board. So everything is thought in advance and it's not really an integral part of the movie, which I think yeah. it's kind of crazy because action movies are about the action. Yeah, whatever. right. Yeah. Interesting. All right. What do you have as number? Oh, and this had 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's only one of our movies out of the 20 that wasn't fresh. Oh, uh, that we'll talk about. Um, I think I have an idea which one it could be. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so there's two of ours that are close, but tech, uh, two others, one of mine, one of yours that are close. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so everything else is uh, except for one is is fresh so um anyway uh so what's your number 10 my number 10 is a movie uh, it's a french movie called the class and this movie actually uh won the palm d'or at the Cannes film festival 10 years ago and it was nominated for a foreign language film mm-hmm. it is a movie um basically it follows a year in a in a high school class in France, um, sort of a inner city high school, I think. And the story of the movie is basically it is based on a book by a guy with the name Francois Begadeau. I think it's how you pronounce it. I'm sorry if you're French and you're listening. Um, but this guy was an actual teacher, and he wrote this nonfiction book about his experience being a teacher in France. Later, director Laurent Cantet decided that he wanted to make a movie about this book. And so he got Francois Begadeau not only to write the screenplay with him, but to actually star in the movie as the teacher. And they got a real group of teenagers, a class, and they spent the whole year with them sort of shooting the movie, getting to know them, doing a lot of improvisation. And I think creating the kids sort of created their own characters, sort of version versions of themselves that they portrayed in the movie and i think that's very it's a it's um i think it's a strategy that paid off because the movie seems very realistic to me about the high school experience and it's a very democratic movie in that it's not your typical sort of inspirational teacher movie in which the teacher comes and he gives a speech and he Mm -hmm. uh, makes all of these troubled kids into better people and shows them that learning is fun or whatever, but it's a much more honest and perhaps darker and complicated portrayal of sort of the problems and how the system, the education system has these problems that it's not completely broken, but there's enough things that are off that should be working much better. And yeah, so yeah. I think that's what I like about it. Yeah, it's an interesting movie and it is interesting that the 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 strongest part about the film in my opinion is the lead performance uh by uh francois Bogadou. Yeah. uh he he was very good and i agree with you i like that it felt sort of grounded and didn't didn't really have any sort of 
inspirational moments. Like it, it's, it kind of reminded me a little bit of some of the scenes with, in Boyhood with, mm-hmm. uh, with like the scene in the photography uh, room where the teacher's trying to get through to Mason um, or like even his um, boss at the, at the, um, at the uh, salad bar, you know, trying to kind of get through to him kind of reminded me a little bit of those scenes uh, that, you know, feel kind of like they're an everyday small moment, but they are, you know, important. And so I really enjoyed that. I, uh, I think that my only, I just wish that we'd gotten to maybe know, uh, I wish kind of they focused maybe on like two students and we'd really gotten to know as opposed to, just kind of the I guess it's the class that's what it's called but I didn't feel like I really got to know the students as well as I would have um as well Um, as I would have liked I think it is a very uh I see your point I think the movie takes a very clinical point of view to most of it I think uh, we do spend a little more time with the teacher than with the students but I think we it's almost like a documentary approach in which you kind of see all of these students you get a little bit of time with them and I think that's why the whole thing of spending a whole year with them paid off because you get a lot. I feel like I get a lot out of them in very little time. And I think it maybe wouldn't have been possible if you just got an actor uh, and then in, in two months. But I think, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what I like about it, that you kind of get all of these perspectives and it's basically a critique of the system. And you can see that it's not really the teacher's fault. It's not really the student's fault a hundred percent it's kind of like everything is just a little off. And I don't know, I feel very passionate about the subject of education. It's one of my, I think it's a hugely important subject and thing for everyone, uh, every country, the whole world, every person. And I think we don't spend enough time really thinking about how it should run. I actually agree with you. I'm sure that we have very different solutions given our different philosophies, but I actually, in the same way, um, it's a very important subject to me. I'm very, a non-traditionalist. Uh, I really, I believe in school choice and, and uh, homeschooling and options. I believe in options uh, for families, but, um, but yeah, so I, I actually like that as well. I'm thinking maybe I gave it, I gave it three and a half stars maybe I gave it two low stars. Cause I, I really like that too about critiquing because, because we need to be open at least to hearing people's ideas and uh, to trying to make the system better because it's not working the way that we're doing it right now as, yeah. in general. We need, we need, we need to make it better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Not to get to, too much into the education part of it, but I think one of the things you see in the movie is really that uh, the way the system is set up, it's really, uh, not catering to the specific uh, students, right? Because you can see how each student has a different problem and you can't really deal with all of these students and all of the personal problems that they have in the the way things are set up right now. Agreed. Yep. Uh, So it's it's, it's really interesting. And then this has 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. And so I definitely recommend people check it out for sure. I'm glad that I did. So, okay, so my number nine, this is the only movie that we both have on our list, uh, is, uh, is Ponyo, is my number nine, from Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, where is it on your list? Um, we'll talk about it later. Okay. I don't have right. much to say about right now about Ponyo, except to say that it's a delightful movie, and then we'll be talking about it later. Okay, all right, so we'll just hold off. Um, and so let's hear about your number nine. 
Oh, so we, you don't want to talk about it at all? We'll just talk about it later? Yeah, we'll just talk about it later. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Um, but number nine is... Um, oh, so I have to do a little bit of a disclaimer for my number nine, which is um, how what is a 2008 movie, right? Um, is there the movies that played in the U.S. in 2008? Can get complicated because the release schedule, some movies don't yeah. really ever get released in the U.S. So I decided to go with the year in which they first premiered uh, basically anywhere. And so um, this is a movie that played at the Toronto Film Festival in 2008, was released in the US in 2009, and it won the Oscar for Best Picture in 2010. And that is, uh, of course, Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker, mm, which is, yeah. um, right. So a lot of people will think of it as a 2009 movie, but for my criteria, it counts as 2008. And so I put it on the list because I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, sort of a character study about a group of soldiers, a bomb defusing squad in Iraq. And I think it follows them also for about a year or so. Um, Jeremy Renner in sort of the performance that made him a movie star, really. Um, they got him an Oscar nomination as well. Um, plays this guy who is... Uh, the main, uh, he's a sergeant, I think, and he's in charge of the bomb defusing squad and he's the guy who goes in it and actually defuses the bomb. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second in command is Anthony Mackie, who's also great in the movie. Um, so two Avengers in one movie. Mm. <laughs> um, way before they were superheroes, they were doing work in Iraq. And yeah. I think it's just a very intense, very good movie, um, both as a sort of, action movie but more of a suspense right because it's all about diffusing bombs so the tension in the movie is huge and then you have this very i think uh very effective portrayal of the experience of putting you in the position of people with a enormous amount of stress in this position of being a soldier in this a foreign mission and uh, trying to defuse bombs and then knowing what's going on and how, you know, difficult that job is and how it can take a toll on every, any person who takes it on. And, uh, you know, each of the characters in the movie uh, has, the experience has a different effect on them. Jeremy Renner sort of gets uh, almost addicted to the adrenaline of of doing his work, and then Anthony Mackie realizes that there a point that he just can't go on. This is just too much stress, and it's. I think it's a very good movie. I don't know if you've seen it. I have seen it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really good movie. I think it it it, it shows more than any other movie I can think of. Shows this like weird combination of monotony and like extreme adrenaline risk taking that you have when as a soldier Uh, there's so much time when they're just like sitting and waiting and waiting and then like boom they have to make these really crazy really risky just you know decisions and i i think it shows that dynamic really well the dynamic between the 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 soldiers really well uh and it's not a um nationalistic movie it's not like rah 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 america's so great um, mm-hmm. It's just, uh, you know, about these guys and, and what they do and uh, kind of the, I don't know, their life. So I, I, I agree. I like it very much. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I think it was seen as sort of a little bit of a apolitical movie when it came out, that it wasn't totally pro-war and totally anti-war. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not totally sure about that. I think there's, there's some hints of what the politics of the movie might be, but I think definitely the focus is on the on the human part of it. And I think a lot of the time, uh, especially for myself, when I think of all these conflicts and the role of the military and whatever, I can overlook sort of the, the human aspect of actually being a soldier. It's something that I have a hard time, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, putting myself in that position because it's something that I would never do just personally. I, I don't think I have what it takes to be a soldier. So I don't even think about it. So I think this movie does a lot for me to, to really, you know, make me think of what that situation would be like. Yeah, it does. Definitely. So that has a, a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, all right. So uh, speaking of Avengers, um, my uh, number eight, is Iron Man. And I, this is one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite superhero movies. I think it's maybe my favorite origin story. May, well, no, Wonder Woman is my favorite origin mm. story movie. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but this is definitely my second favorite. And I, I, I just really like, you forget because he kind of loses it in the sequels, but you forget how smart Tony is and how scrappy he is and uh he i think it's interesting you take this this uh mogul who isn't thinking about the effects of his decisions uh and put him make him a prisoner basically and make him have to realize you know they've got stark industries on these you know these uh uh these bombs and stuff and and that the terrorists have and he has to kind of realize that he not only has to stop doing what he's doing selling these 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 uh weapons but he needs to actively do something to to stop evil and stop bad things from happening and um and so it's uh i think it's an actually an interesting it's an interesting movie it's a super fun movie in my opinion um i you know they had terrence howard as roadie at this time which he was fine um you know jeff bridges is a marvel villain in a suit but he was Hmm. fine in my opinion um and i don't know i just think it's a it's like what i like as far as superhero movies and uh yeah there you go yeah, watching this movie again, it's kind of crazy to think where the Marvel universe has gone. Like, this feels so, you know, small. It feels so much like a movie in compare. you know? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. the Marvel movies now almost don't feel like movies anymore to me. Like, I just saw Infinity War and it was almost like i don't know if i can even think of this as a movie it's just yeah. something else it's now. like an like, episode in a tv show kind of it's not even that it it's almost feels like something new i i have to think about that more like what it actually feels like but it feels like something different yeah something that is not what i grew up with watching which was movies and iron man because it was the first and was so long ago and they didn't know that they were going to go in this huge direction just yet um does feel like a movie and it's kind of weird to see it now and and think of where everything has gone yeah it's also weird to think of a time where robert downey jr wasn't a huge huge movie star and he was kind of like you know down in his Mm -hmm. on his luck and this is basically the performance that reignited his career Mm -hmm. in a whole different way and And he's great in it and and marvel has 
pretty much across the board nailed casting i mean they have i mean they have not in my i can't really think of like a jesse eisenberg disaster maybe the the mandarin was was not very well liked but but uh but i, I don't know he he uh they just can find for their heroes find really great actors and really great I think, people yeah i think they did a really good job in their in their um sort of key heroes i think yeah, 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 getting yeah. robert downey jr chris evans chris hemsworth i think that trio is yeah. you know it's right on the money they really um they i think they nailed a lot of their their success with yeah. that trio of casting 94 percent on Rotten Tomatoes and John Favreau. I think that he he has a talent for making fun, enjoyable blockbusters. I, I mean, a lot of people don't like Iron Man two, but I think it's watchable. I don't think it's as bad as people say. Uh, but uh, for the most part, I think he he makes pretty fun films. So he yeah, did a I think job he has. There. Yeah, I think he has a knack for uh, lightness and you know keeping things going, keeping things fresh. That's number eight. Uh, my number eight is a movie called The Headless Woman. Mm-hmm. It is an Argentinian film directed by Lucrecia Martel. And I, probably not a household name mm-hmm. in most places, but I am here to tell all of you that Lucrecia Martel is one of the very best directors, I think, working right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her work. I, she's got a movie actually coming out uh, I know it's already playing in New York and in LA. I don't know if it's made its way across the US just yet, but it's called Zama and it's my favorite movie mm. of 2019 so far. Mm. Uh, but also it's a difficult movie to get into for someone who's not used to, you know, who's not a super art film type of person. And The Headless Woman is also like that. Mm. Um, it's a story basically of a woman who thinks she might have run someone over on the road and she kind of loses her mind um, trying to figure out if it actually happened. And the interesting thing is that everyone around her tells her that, no, it's, it was just a dog. You didn't run over a person. Don't worry about it. Just keep you living your life. And sort of the guilt um, sort of, you know, is driving her insane. She can't handle it. And uh, the most interesting thing is that Lucretia Martel decides to really put us in her position. And, and the filmmaking is very disorienting. It's hard to tell what's going on. You take a while until you actually realize what exactly has happened and the sound design and the editing, everything is uh, very well used to put us in that situation and really tell the story from the point of view of a woman who is very, uh, you know, it's basically shocked by what has happened and it's dealing with the trauma and the uncertainty of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I watched a bunch of your picks yesterday and I think this was my favorite of the ones that I watched yesterday. Uh it's a really tight little thriller. It's the kind of movie that Hollywood would completely ruin and make really lame. And uh uh it it was uh really tight and the great lead performance and very well made. I completely agree with everything you said. The sound design was especially a standout to me. And I know that might sound weird, but like it was just every you felt everything. You felt everything she was feeling. You felt like the sound when she hit that whatever it was that she mm-hmm. hit. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was very well done. And it wasn't too long. It didn't, you know, get boring. It it just mm-hmm. kept going. It was, it was good. 
Very good. I'm glad to hear you liked it because it's, uh, yeah, it, I think it's the sort of movie that uh, not everyone is going to be into just because it's such a art film in the way it's been made. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's not easily accessible, but like you say, it's, it is at the end of the day, a little bit of a, of a thriller of what happened, you know, and it's, you can find a way into it. Um, and I hope people give it a chance. I definitely hope people catch up with Mortel's work. Um, Zama is also kind of a difficult movie to get into, but I got to tell you, if you like the sound design in this movie, wait until you see Zama, it's even better. And was, was that uh, released? Uh, did you see that at a festival or was that released? Yeah, I saw it last year at the New York Film Festival. And I think it just got released sometime in April in New York. So mm. it might be making its way across the U.S. now. Cool. I um, definitely yeah. have to check that out. Uh, this, The Headless Woman had a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really did enjoy it. It's a, it's a nice little thriller. Uh, and uh, it, it was just different, something new. And I uh, enjoyed it. Uh, okay, so my number seven uh, is the movie Grand Torino. And this movie, I have a weakness for movies about grumpy old men that get like kind of reformed. <laughs> my favorite movie in the whole world is Up. And, uh, and I, I don't know, I just... I think this was a really nice way to kind of for Clint Eastwood to say goodbye to his dirty Harry character. I think it's really funny. Like when he's like, get off my lawn, you know, and like, um, and I, I just think it's has sweet moments between him and the, his neighbors, the Hmong teenager, uh, that he kind of reluctantly agrees to sort of help. And the more that he gets to know this, this, these neighbors, the more he sort of uh, lightens up and and uh, and uh, becomes a, a a nicer person. He doesn't like completely change, but he changes. I feel like in a believable way, little you know, a little bit. And um, uh, and I, I guess because I I have two two grandparents, two grandpas. Everyone has two grandpas, but I have that were very influential in my life. One was a grumpy old man who didn't really uh didn't really reform he stayed a grumpy old man and one was just the sweetest most wonderful person <laughs> and hmm. uh anyways maybe that's part of it uh, but i just think it's funny i think it's sweet and uh like i said a nice kind of send off for uh for the D- dirty hairy character even though it's not technically but that kind of character that eastwood played for so long so I have it at seven. Um, I think calling his character a grumpy old man might be underselling it a little <laughs> bit. He is quite nasty at some point. Um, I think we have a situation here in which I just, uh, you know, what we are just reacting to a movie in completely different ways, um, mm-hmm. in which everything that you come that you find endearing i it comes off as you know it rubs me the wrong way somehow Mm -hmm. it makes me think of how we divided on what's it called hacksaw ridge yeah where you know everything that that was moving to you or 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 visceral like all the action sequences i that were so extreme i kind of found almost uh, funny you know like it was like it was just so much that i couldn't really take it seriously 
Um, I find a little bit of that in Gran Torino. I think it lays it on a little too thick for mm-hmm. me and I can't really get into it. Um, which is a shame because I am not usually into Clint Eastwood, especially his most recent movies, but I do really love Unforgiven, which is kind of his uh, sort of old man regrets version of his uh, Western character. Yes, good, the Western. Right. So he's sort of this old, you know, it's so Gran Torino is basically a version kind of like the Unforgiven for Dirty Harry. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping that I would get into it just the way I did with Unforgiven. But I just think that movie works much better for me. Um, The redemption arc and the sort of the the way it goes about it and and deals with the toll of violence, I think is, uh, I don't know, I think it might just be more elegant, more my speed. I don't know, maybe, you know, this one just doesn't click for me. Understandable. I, I, you know, we're, we're, we're like, everybody likes you know different movies and that's what makes this all fun so uh so yeah uh it's it it works for me but i i understand mm-hmm. so, what do you have at number seven well talking about grumpy old people but number seven not grumpy at all but definitely old and lovely is agnes varda ah. in the beaches of agnes um so basically um agnes varda is uh, sort of this legendary film director a French film director. Um, last year, she won an honorary Oscar for her career, and she was also nominated documentary for Faces Places, which was one of my favorite movies of Should last year. Should have won. Ugh. Should have definitely won. Um, it's a delightful movie, and The Beaches of Agnes is another delightful movie because it has Agnes Varda at the center of it, and she is the most delightful person in the world. Um, and then basically this movie is sort of a documentary memoir in which she goes through her life and recounts sort of her childhood and her, her work. Um, basically, she just goes through her life remembering and, and thinking back on it and, uh, you know, like a memoir. And basically, well, first of all, uh, the thing about Agnes Varda is that she just has the way of doing things that I think is completely disarming and and things that would come off as either hokey or pretentious with other people she just finds the right mix between silliness and loftiness that i think just works so well for me i don't know if you agree with that yeah oh yeah Um, that i love agnes varda i i was unfamiliar with her until seeing faces places and mm -hmm. i I had no idea that she was married to jack's Jacques Demay uh, until I saw this movie and that was really cool because I love Jacques Demay and the Umbrellas of Chabot is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. and uh, I uh, I just thought it was I just think she's the best she's the coolest person like somebody asked me uh, who from a movie would I would I want to have a conversation with and I should have picked her because she would be I picked Julia Child which was a good name. <laughs> not a bad choice though yeah <laughs> but uh but i think uh that and i and yoda those are my two picks <laughs> but, but I, I think agnes varda would be a great pick also she just seems like the nicest coolest loveliest person i mean the only reason i would give phases places and edge over this movie is that mm-hmm. i think the art in i like personally liked the art better in phases places but, yeah but, but both well, are great and this I is think- great yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the interesting things about this movie in particular is that she makes all these pieces of art that are meant to recreate her 
uh, moments in her life. And I think it's kind of part of the story that she doesn't really ever get fully satisfied with the art that she creates yeah. because she can't really recapture the memory. And I think that's one of the things that she's, that's you know, true. exploring this idea of trying to relive the past and how you relate to the past um, and how it's never fully there, but it's also very enriching. Um, it's also because she goes through her whole life and talks about everything that she's done in her work. It's a great way of getting an overview of her career and then going back and, and seeing the movies that you find most interesting that she's done or her most yeah. work that stands out to you. So I'd recommend everyone to check it out. You'll get her personality and then you'll get an overview of her work and see if you're interested in, in digging into it. Yeah, and also uh, Jacques Demay's work as well really kind of basically yes. gets profiled too. Which Absolutely. Uh, I, I actually got the Criterion um, of his movies, Criterion Collections set, um, mm -hmm. and, but I've only seen um, two. So there's more. I have to, uh, I've got like four or five more movies to dive into and I'm really excited because he was amazing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, definitely check out this one. This one's, although just a warning, some of the art scenes do have a lot of nudity so <laughs> just just yeah for yeah, yeah. she was she's like a she's a feminist from the 70s so yeah. you know be prepared <laughs> for my 2008 rachel listeners mm -hmm. maybe not um okay so my next pick for number seven is the duchess and mm. this uh movie uh i love costume dramas i love period pieces uh just and i love I'm like with huge angle file. I love things about Britain and England and whatever. And I think, so this movie is about Georgina, uh, Georgiana and Duchess of Devonshire and uh, her, <laughs> her uh, interesting, she was a uh, ancestor to Princess Diana and her kind of interesting political and personal life. Uh, and uh, Keira Knightley is great as always in these kind of roles and it's beautifully mounted beautiful costumes it won I think the Oscar for costumes if I'm not mistaken mm -hmm. um and uh it has a great cast uh uh Ray Fiennes Charlotte Rampling Dominic Cooper Haley Atwell um and a lot of people actually though the the criticism I've seen for this movie is that uh is is about some of the casting with Dominic Cooper and Ray Fiennes. But for me, for me, I kind of like the fact that they didn't go with like, I don't know, a classic, classically handsome movie star kind of leading men. I think that it makes it a little more interesting that she like chooses to love this more normal looking guy and uh and that that's you know she, she's such a beautiful woman and wears these amazing clothes and and uh and i think that her relationship with the Haley atwell character is really interesting because it's basically about these two women uh taking the, the the situation that they're in which is kind of horrible and surviving and making it work as best they can and trying to love their children and trying to um and uh you know uh, ray finds is a villain basically in it uh but you can kind of see where he's coming from a little bit at least i think and yeah i just really like it it's the lowest of any of my picks on rotten tomatoes 61 percent but i still like it so i have it at number six 
Hmm. Um, this is one of two movies on your list that I have seen, but I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it back probably sometime in 2008 or 2009 uh, on DVD, and I remember it being fine, so I can't really contribute a lot to the conversation, but <laughs> I'll take enough. your word for it. Okay, fair enough. All right, what do you have at number six? Um, all right, my number six is uh, Happy Go Lucky. Mm. a sort of, um, you know, uncharacteristically happy and cheery movie from a guy who is usually uh, working in hard-hitting realism, and that would be British director Mike Lee. Um, The movie stars Sally Hawkins as a very optimistic woman named Poppy who goes about her life embracing happiness and optimism. And I think the most brilliant thing about the movie is that Uh, you know, at the beginning, Poppy comes off as kind of annoying and irritating, very pushy. And then as it goes on, you kind of realize that this is a, this is not some sort of, you know, aloof, dim-witted woman, but rather a real person with real thoughts and feelings who has chosen to be optimistic. She's not just, she's not oblivious to what's going on, but rather she has made a choice and that choice takes a toll on her, but it's not going to bring her down. She has decided Mm -hmm that she's going to face the world with optimism. And I find that sort of, it's a very funny movie. It's very delightful. And at the end, when all of that becomes clear, it becomes quite touching to me. I think it's, it was an, it was unexpectedly um, emotional for me towards the end. And I think it's really good movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Sally Hawkins makes the movie. She is so great. She's oh yes. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just had to say Sally Hawkins is fantastic. She should have won the Oscar this year, and she wasn't even nominated, which is criminal. But she gives one of the most amazing performances. Sorry, continue. Yes, she is amazing i love her i've loved her all the way back to uh she did an amazing uh version of persuasion on the mm. abc you got to check it out it's really good uh rupert henry jones is as uh, captain wentworth it's really good um she's just the best and she makes this movie i think she's just it, it's a part that could get cloying really quick but it doesn't mm-hmm. i think because she grounds yeah. it like you said uh the only thing that i some of the stuff with the driver's teacher gets a little is a little much i think sometimes it's like okay i'm getting a little tired of weary it's getting a little wearisome for me hmm. it's interesting that you bring that up because um when i first saw this movie way back when um i did find the the driving uh sections of it she basically takes driving classes with this guy who is uh uh, sort of the complete opposite of her, right? She's, he's a complete pessimist and he hates the world and is over everything. And these are very extreme comedic scenes. I thought they were too much, like you were saying back when I first saw them. Watching them again this time, I found the, the guy who 10 years ago came off to me as this sort of cartoonish, just quirky guy to be much more... Um, I don't know, like relevant to these days. He says a lot of things like he's a, he's has like this sort of racist moment. And then he talks about these conspiracy theories and Satanism and all these other things that um, I don't know. I feel like in the last couple of years or so, I've heard some men in my life say things like that. And, and, and it has become, I don't know. I find him now watching him again, that he sort of represents a sort of, uh, 
hatred and fear that is really present in life. And I think that it, it makes it, it makes it that even more relevant sort of contrast to the way this woman is, is choosing to, to live life mm-hmm. in comparison to this man. So yeah, it worked much better for me the second time around and keeping those things in mind. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It worked. It was, it was just a little, well, maybe little, I could use a little less of him, but, uh, but, uh, but I see what you're saying. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a good movie. I definitely recommend. Yeah. Very good pick. Okay. So for my number five pick, I have a little romance called, uh, called last chance Harvey. And, uh, this I think is such a sweet movie. Um, starring Dustin Hoffman and Emma Thompson and uh they it's basically they have a meet cute at an airport he's going to uh to london to for the wedding of his daughter and he's basically been kind of replaced by his uh uh his ex-wife's uh husband in his daughter's eyes he's kind of just being invited as a formality and so there's a lot of and he's just basically kind of lost his job and so there's a lot of like wounded feeling between the Dustin Hoffman character, I think. And, and the Emma Thompson character, uh, she, she's working at the airport, not in like a great meaningful job. She's trying to take care of her mother. And, uh, and you just get the feeling that for both these characters, life has not turned out the way that they wanted it to. And I feel like it's so unusual to have a movie a romance between a more mature couple to have a meet cute uh, like this you know or the like uh, two characters who have history who have and i totally bought it and i, I really like the dialogue i think it's very sweet and uh but i feel i feel like it feels relatively authentic and plausible and and uh i don't know i just i like romances and I really like this a lot. I think it's very sweet. And so I have it at number five. Mm-hmm. This is the other movie on your list that I have seen and I can't really remember much of. Okay. Um, the only thing I remember thinking is that Emma Thompson was really good in the movie. Yeah. So I'm curious to see it again to see if that's true. I mean, I love Emma Thompson, but I, I remember yeah. thinking this was a particularly good performance that um, maybe didn't get as much attention as it could have yeah really good both of them i think are really good they have really good chemistry they had worked together on um oh my brain what's that yes um stranger than fiction oh, right yeah. Yeah, they had worked together in Stranger in the Fiction, which is a movie, even though I couldn't remember it a second ago, is a movie that I really love. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know, I just, I just really like this movie. I think it's very sweet. So I have it at five. What about, uh, what about you? What do you have at five? Uh, so my number five, um, if I have to bet, I think this might be the movie that's rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, is this true? My number five is Speed Racer. Yeah, that's Directed the one that's by, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my number five is Speed Racer, um, based on the 1960s television cartoon Speed Racer, mm-hmm. um, which is about a race car driver called Speed Racer, who he's just the very best at what he does. He's the best driver around. And, you know, he's caught in this very, very melodramatic plot in which he... Uh, he might sign with the big business or is he going to stay true to his family and his little small, uh, you know, family owned label? 
and uh, then he realizes he uncovers this conspiracy about racing and whatever. So it's this sort of boilerplate melodramatic plot. Um, what's really special about the movie directed by Lana and Lily Wachowski, it's that it's one of the most visually uh, daring and innovative and completely insane action movies of the past 10 years. A movie that was a flop when it came out, both critically and at the box office. It uh, did, not only did it not open at number one, it opened at number three behind Iron Man and what happens in Vegas, which we were just talking about. So that's the only thing I know about what happens in Vegas is that it did better than Speed Racer. But I think it's one, it's, I think it's a, a visionary movie. I think it um, truly transports the way children think of cars racing and sort of like Hot Wheels tracks and that sort of playing with cars and turns it into, a, into actually a movie. I, that's something that a lot of people say about certain movies. Like, you know, I feel like I've heard people talk about it with the Lego movie or the Transformer movies. I think this is the one that does it the best and it captures sort of like this weird manic energy of the cartoon and it brings it to a whole other level. It's a movie that feels like it's in 3D even though it isn't. It's, it's kind of insane just the way it uses shapes and colors and sounds and everything. I feel like it's a whole other level. I feel like even if it didn't do well when it came out, it has influenced almost every action movie that came after it. I feel like Mad Max Fury Road wouldn't really exists the way it does if it weren't for Speed Racer. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just love it. And I'm glad to see that a lot of uh, people have sort of rediscovered the movie. I personally didn't really like the movie when I first saw it because it felt so different and it felt like this weird sort of cartoonish and childish thing when I first, I was 16, of course. And, but these years later, watching it again, I see how wrong I was and I have seen the light and it's called Speed Racer. Yeah. So I did get to rewatch this yesterday. I <laughs> and um, I didn't have a positive experience at the theater watching this movie back in two thousand eight. Um, I'm very I, my, I have a very sensitive stomach when it comes to motion sickness kind of thing, and mm. the graphics, while innovative, were very nauseating to me. And they're very like spinning and spinning and spinning and, and the way that it, the camera's kind of always like moving and stuff, which is just like, ugh, mm -hmm. I, I didn't care for it. And I have to say, I still didn't really care for it and watching it just, I just, I don't know. It's just not, I feel like you're, it's a video game uh, in a movie and that's just not really interesting to me. And like, I get the appeal. It's just not, my favorite and i think the movie is way too long uh, um, i do not think this movie should be two and a half hours long or two hours and 15 minutes and i don't know i just i, I don't really care for it myself but i see um, the appeal i can see why i'm sad right. to hear that because i thought you might get into it because it's such a uh, optimistic and positive movie i feel like yeah. it's really a story about how you know, optimism and love in a family and friends is what's really going to help you be great. Like it's about this great guy who can only achieve great things because he has a whole great loving group of people that are going to be there to support him. But yeah. Um, yeah. And it is a yeah. nice family message and it, 
it's not a horrible movie. I don't hate it, but like, I don't know. I just, it just, um, I it is, love it. It is a very, um, how can I say it? It's a very unique movie. Like it's unlike I think any other movie that I've seen, and that gives it an edge for me. Uh-huh. That also makes me understand that some people are not gonna be into it because it feels so unlike anything else. And yeah, yeah, I don't love it, but uh, I can understand why it works for the people. Um, okay, my number four pick is "I've Loved You So Long." Uh, this is a movie uh starring Kristen scott thomas uh she speaks french like she's just natural like like amazing um and she plays this woman who has gotten out of prison and you don't know at first why she was in prison for a long time and they start to sort of unfold uh through the course of the movie why she was in prison and what happened and um she uh she's uh received i guess by her sister who has really struggled with the fact that she's been in prison and they have this uh now having to uh try to live with this person live together and i don't know i i just love kristen scott thomas's performance in this i think she's amazing and i i i think you kind of have to buy there's sort of a big reveal and you kind of have to buy it and go with it in order to i think love the movie and i did and uh i i i don't know i think it's a beautiful relationship between her and her sister and uh, a movie about forgiving yourself and forgiveness in general and i don't know i really like it this has a 88 percent on uh, rotten tomatoes uh did you see this movie this is the only one i haven't seen on your list um but i do love kristen scott thomas so maybe i'll catch up with it sounds like it's good yeah i i really like it i think it's a real good movie uh so yeah check it out what do you have at number four uh my number four is uh forgetting sarah marshall mm-hmm. written by and starring jason siegel and directed by nicholas stoller who would go on to collaborate in the muppets yeah and forgetting sir marshall it's just one of my favorite movies i loved it when i saw it for the first time in 2008 and i love it even more 10 years later cool what do you like about it i think it stands out as one of the best comedies of the last decade or so because um you know going back to the trope that i was talking about before of the man child the protagonist has to learn to grow up and whatever um, I think this movie sort of subverts, subverts that by making the lead guy a very sensitive and very vulnerable person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what he has to learn is not really so much to grow up. I don't know. I think it's, it's really a movie about finding uh, the strength in vulnerability and, and realizing that, you know, being open and being vulnerable is what makes this guy um valuable as a person and and worthy so he basically plays jason siegel plays this guy who's is a composer and he works for a tv show which is kind of like a cbs procedural and it stars an actress named sarah marshall who's played by Kristen bell Mm -hmm. and she's peter's girlfriend and then in the very first scene or one of the first scenes in the movie she breaks up with him um and then he goes into this funk and in order to get out of it he decides to take a vacation in hawaii 
And then it turns out that Sarah Marshall and her new boyfriend, who is this rock star played by Russell Brand, are also in Hawaii at the same time. So he kind of goes into a bit of a crisis. Um, but I think it's, the, it's sort of the setup that makes you think of movies like, you know, Eat, Pray, Love, or How Stella Got Her Groove Back, which usually have female protagonists, but you have a male protagonist at the center. And I think that shifts things and it makes it, you know, mm-hmm. I think it balances the whole, the whole raunchy sort of gross out comedy bits of it um, and makes it really work as, a, as much as a crass comedy as it works as a romantic comedy for me. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it's hilarious. I mean, yeah. let's cut to the chase. The real reason why I like the movie is because it makes me laugh so much. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't seen this one, but I do love Jason Siegel. I was huge until uh, I was a huge uh, How I Met Your Mother fan. Uh, it, I hated the, the finale, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but I loved his character on that show. And I, it sounds like they may have uh, tapped into maybe that a little bit, uh, yeah. a little bit of a Marshall. Definitely. Sweet. Marshall was such a sweet and uh, superstitious and fun guy, and uh, so that that I could see. And Nicholas Stoller, he you know he's really sort of become. It's funny because this movie. The reason why I haven't seen it is because of the nudity, um, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, but he's now become kind of Mr. Animation. Uh, and uh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, doing storks and and he's he's writing the uh, directing the I, I think he's directing or writing uh, the um uh the upcoming smallfoot um movie uh yeah so anyway he's done a number of of animated films so uh and they've been i've enjoyed them so yeah it's a it's um it's interesting so that's cool that you have comedy as uh is your number four he also i'm just checking out his imdb he also wrote captain underpants which you like to meet and he's gonna write the dora the explorer movie so there you go yeah 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 i i really did like captain underpants it was very funny um so okay so the next one on my list is definitely an obscure one uh it's called still walking and this uh there's director hirokazu korida who Mm -hmm. i think uh deserves more i mean he's very his films always have this actually is 100 percent on ron tomatoes his most of his films have a, close to 100 percent, if not more so he's very well loved by critics but i feel like he should get more love <laughs> even than he gets mm-hmm. because his movies are so lovely and so wonderful and uh and uh he's kind of the only way i can think that people might relate to it to describe is sort of the Richard Linklater of Japan <laughs> in the way that like his movies aren't as machismo as Richard Linklater's movies, but uh, in just in the sense of sort of following characters around and listening to them talk. And, and this not going to be for everybody. Some people are going to think this is very boring, but mm-hmm. in this movie uh, you have this family who uh, the son, their son died in uh, trying to save the life of a, another boy and uh they just left this wound in the family that they've really never recovered from and they're all getting together and uh, sort of to a memorial of their of this son and it's really just them kind of being together and like the father is very judgmental and very harsh on the other 
on the other children. Uh, the other children have their own sort of demons that they talk about and deal with and in their marriages and in their life. And um, the mother's lovely, a uh, lovely character. I don't, I just, I just love it. And I love, he has such humanity for his characters and he, you, you feel a sense that he really loves his characters in his movies and uh, I just loved watching this family. I come from a big family and I know, I know I really related to this movie because I don't know. I've just, I feel like I've had these been parts of these kinds of sort of awkward weekends <laughs> mm-hmm. in, a, in my family where, you know, I don't know. You're trying to, you're trying your best to love each other and you're trying to be supportive, but there's just all of this baggage for lack of a better word i don't know what did you think mm-hmm. of it? i really like this movie yeah. i it's really good the only reason it's not in my honorable mentions is because i knew it was going to be on your list and we were going to be talking about it later yeah. but i Yay. think it's yeah i think it's a really good movie i agree with you i think Coreta is a great director i get the feeling that maybe the reason why he's not celebrated as often is because his movies are so uh uh like you say low key or can't think of the word right now but they they feel very small even though the emotions and and what they're trying to say is so big um this movie makes me think of a kind of movie i compare it to a kind of movie that i hate which is sort of the dead poet society or sorba the greek type of movie which is all about like live your life and seize the day and that sort of thing which always comes off as kind of phony to me but this movie because it's so you know honest about what life is like which presents life in such a sort of normal way and such a relatable way it actually by the end gives me that feeling of yes we should like be living moment by moment like we should appreciate that we're here and and that sort of thing and i think that's just lovely um i agree with you that the cast is great i agree with you that the mother character is great i think the actress name is kieran kiki and i think she gives an incredible performance as this sort of mom who uh you know like moms do she can kind of get away with saying a lot of things that other people wouldn't get away with and she kind of you know, is very loving, but also uses that sort of power to to make certain things known and to get away with certain things that other people couldn't. And uh, yeah, I think it's very honest about the family dynamics and I really like it. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I mean, I think if you're open to slice of life movies that don't have like a ton of plot, then I think that you will find something to relate to, some character, some person in this family like you'll i just i can't imagine anybody not like not relating to at least one of the characters i feel like are are very i related to all of them in one way or another but uh it it, it's just it's very emotionally true Mm -hmm. so yeah i love it so what do you have at uh at number three uh so my next movie is a number three not just because it's my third favorite movie of 2008 and mm-hmm. not just because it's great but also because i think like it i feel like it makes a very nice pairing with forgetting sarah marshall mm-hmm. um it's almost the the other side of the same coin and that's a movie called 
Two Lovers, which was written and directed by James Gray and stars Joaquin Phoenix, who again plays some uh, sort of man-child who has to learn a couple of things. I think this is, he plays a very vulnerable guy who has a lot of mental issues and who, I, I feel like the movie's about him having to forget sort of his pre-existing ideas about strength and masculinity and, and desire and fantasy in order to become a better person. He is sort of like the Jason Siegel character he's been broken up with and is intensely depressed about it. Uh, actually, the movie opens with a suicide attempt on his part. And then, so he's a truly depressed man and he tries to get out of his depression and is presented with the possibility of two relationships with two different women. One is a, this sort of nice Jewish girl who's introduced to him by his parents, um, played by Vanessa Shaw, who's great in the movie. And then he has this neighbor who is not Jewish and is played by Gwyneth Paltrow. And she also has a lot of personal problems of her own. She's in a relationship with a married man. And then this Joaquin Phoenix character sort of falls in love with her and has this fantasy about them going off together and running away and that sort of thing. So I really think this is sort of like a similar story to Forgetting Sir Marshall, just in a different tone, right? That one is a comedy and this is sort of a more serious melodrama but but i think at the end of the day is about finding selflessness and vulnerability and leaving behind the sort of societal ideas about what is it like to be strong and to be masculine and rather just being in the real world and with real people and actually sharing and being there for each other yes i saw it and i enjoyed it i thought it was a good film i my only question you described him as a man child to me, he seemed like he was on the spectrum. Like you. Right. So it's not right because it's a more, more realistic, serious movie. So, so what I was trying to say is that he was a sort of a very vulnerable, I guess you could say sort of immature man. I don't know if I would, I guess it wasn't clear to me whether or not he was on the spectrum just because I thought his, he has a lot of erratic behavior and I thought it was sort of, a result of sort of his depression and his, and his mm. you know, problems. Of yeah, because that. that was the only thing I was wondering about, because I'm like, if you're on the spectrum, you struggle with social interactions to varying degrees, depending on, depending on where you are. And the fact that he could maintain a relationship with two women, I was like, what? Um, but I was able to sort of put that aside and just go with it. And it was a very sweet movie. This is a very sweet story, very well acted. Uh, and, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it feels, I, I agree with you. I think that the emotion feels earned to me. I didn't think it was too melodramatic, but I like melodrama, I guess. Um, and, uh, mm. so yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well made and very, uh, sweet little a sweet romantic movie um and i i thought that he had chemistry with both i kind of preferred the Vin, the vanessa character uh honestly over gwyneth well, paltrow's yeah. character well gwyneth paltrow character you can tell that she's she, she's got a lot of issues of her own that yeah. character and you can tell that she's troubled yeah and i don't know i just i, I kind of like the chemistry between uh, I like that bar mitzvah scene was really fun. And yeah. uh, so, and I think that it takes a lot to be able to make both 
because it'd be easy to make one relationship the sort of toxic relationship where you don't you you hate the uh, hate it and then really want the other one to be the one to work out um but it's not as simple in this and i think they do a good job with that so yeah, yeah. I, enjoy, I think it's a good movie i enjoyed it yeah i think he he is very interested in, in respecting the point of view and the vulnerability of all the characters so that's really something that makes the movie good mm-hmm. yeah and it has this has 83 percent on Rotten tomatoes so there you go with two lovers okay so my number two on my list is wally and uh wally is just a delight uh it is so sweet and uh it starts out you know with wally just being this cute little robot and listening to hello dolly it's a much better hello dolly movie than hello dolly in my opinion actually Uh, (laughs) but uh um but it's really sweet and he meets eve and they have this sweet romance and um Hmm. robots and a lot of people it does it does take a a turn once they get to the ship but i actually Mm -hmm. really love what happens on the ship because you have this captain who uh has they've been living this way that they were sort of taught to live on this ship and he Mm -hmm. when they bring the plant back he it opens this sort of portal or whatever i don't know what you want to call it but anyway and he sees like what human life could really be like and he gets this image and he sees people dancing and he sees people whatever and he gets this whole new sort of i realization of like what it means to be human and how they are not living like a full life and i think that's so uh moving and lovely and uh there's so many gorgeous scenes i think that wally may be the most beautiful cg animated film ever made uh, it's definitely in my in the running for sure um it just the the scene where they're dancing in space is so beautiful and uh, i i i don't know i just i just love it i think it's a really sweet lovely emotional film i think when they finally get back to earth and they're starting over again it's it's moving to me and uh and it's also cute and fun and uh yeah so i love it so wally so i number two yes um i also like wally um it's a good movie um it's not my favorite picture i have to admit but i but i think it's really i, I agree with most of what you say i think it's has a lot of beautiful moments I think I am a little bit one of those people who think that uh, that like the first half of the movie better than the second. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just really love the pace of the first half, which mm-hmm. feels to me like it's very um, sort of takes its time and it's very interested in just things happening, just seeing Wally do stuff, which I think is something that we don't get a lot in Pixar movies. There, I feel like they're very concerned with story and with moving the story along a lot of the time so it was nice for me to see something that's a different pace mm, and then yeah. in the second half i i like what happens i like the idea of it i just think the whole i just think not unlike gran torino i think the second part maybe lays it on a little too thick for me yeah so wally it had a uh where is it sorry um 
96% on Rotten Tomatoes. So Andrew Stanton, uh, I think, did a pretty pretty darn good job there with Wally. Uh, so, all right, what do you have at number two? Um, my number two is a movie, Rachel, that I'm just heartbroken isn't higher up on your list. And it's the only movie that it's in both of our lists. Perhaps the most delightful movie ever made in the history of movies, uh, Ponyo, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. It's, I had never seen this movie until quite recently. It is so cute, so delightful. It's like, I can't imagine putting this movie and being in a bad mood afterwards. Like, I feel like whenever I'm going to have a really terrible day i'm just gonna put on ponyo and i'm gonna get in a better mood because it's how could you not it's so delightful i i don't even have so much to say about it because it just strikes me as in that way in which it's just it makes me smile and i think it's so lovely what do you have to say about it <laughs> so i actually defend I feel like, yourself for putting it in number no, nine. see that's the funny thing is i feel like i'm always defending myself for liking this movie at all. So that's the funny thing about this uh, is, so I did a, um, my top 50 animated movies of all time. And mm -hmm. I put Ponyo on that list. And I got so much pushback from that. People were like, oh, it's just so like trite. And so like uh, that the, the story doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. It's too childish. I'm reading from actual actual comments I got that oh, from people uh, saying. Where are that, these people? Where are their hearts? <laughs> another person. I don't like Ponyo either. Some nice animation, but the story. Dot dot dot. Um, and I was <laughs> like, what? Um, so I feel like I'm constantly having to defend the fact that I like this movie. Um, and uh, so it's funny that you phrased it that way. Um, yeah. this movie is so sweet. It's so adorable. It's so cute. It's so magical. I really love Ponyo. I love the character. I love when she walks on the ocean. That is so beautiful. I think it, mm -hmm. it uses music so well. One of Joe Hisashi's best scores for Miyazaki I think it's an absolute travesty that is that he has never been nominated for anything because uh, he's an amazing composer mm -hmm. um and uh, I I I don't know I don't think the story's that bad like I, it's fine like I feel like it's serviceable at least um and um, yeah, yeah. I want to get on my high horse right now um let me just get my <laughs> I'm gonna impart some knowledge on these people who are making these comments <laughs> people story is not the only thing that's important in movies movies are not just about the plot movies are about the experience of watching them of being delighted by this little fish girl who turns into this weird creature and then into a human and then back into a fish and it's called ponyo and it's the most delightful character you've ever met yeah sometimes things are beautiful just for the sake of being beautiful. Agreed. It's one of the most beautiful things. I think it's, I think it's top tier Miyazaki. I, mm. I personally think Miyazaki works best when he's doing his quote unquote childish movies like Totoro or Kiki's Delivery Service. Cause I think that's when he really finds, you know, like 
really graceful things and and, yeah. and they're seemingly very simple in story but they're actually so meaningful in in sort of the just the i don't know the the essence of the movies they feel so nice which is a word that that is used a lot but i feel like they feel good they feel like objects of goodness which i think it's hard to find and hard to find them in a way that doesn't feel trite that feels really honest and really pure and i think that's what ponyo is and i think that's why i love it Mm-hmm. yeah i mean i now you're because i was like oh maybe i shouldn't have put it in my top 50 maybe i should have put princess mononoke instead but now you're making me feel like yes right <laughs> stick to your guts ponya is better than princess mononoke you can send all of your hate mail to me <laughs> good um but it's so sweet the relationship between susuke and ponyo and uh, I love like just little moments like when she have I love how much she loves ham like that's just hilarious mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. so funny mm-hmm. and that's, how can you talk about a bad story that's probably the best plot point in the history of everything yeah like and, uh, she loves ham the best movie ever made what are you talking about <laughs> right, right. I mean I guess the only uh, thing about this movie is that it doesn't have the emotional journey that some of Miyazaki's films have it, like with Totoro with these girls dealing with this their mother being sick and like that has sort of a, an emotional layer that you don't really get here with Sasuke and Ponyo uh that it's just this is just more sort of sweet and lovely and and joyous and great um I know what you get or at least what I get is my personal emotional journey from happiness to overwhelming joy <laughs> to like experiencing nirvana by how great this movie is i love it yay yeah and it's so beautiful i mean i'm a huge i i'm an open water swimmer and i love anything with the water and just the water scenes oh my gosh you're so beautiful so great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so i'm i'm with you uh great. and uh, so yeah this is our this is our we disagree on many things, but we definitely 100% agree on Ponyo. So it yes, brings Team Ponyo. Team Ponyo <laughs> brings the world together. All right, so now we are at our number one picks. This is very home exciting. stretch. Yes. So my number one pick of uh, 2008. I agree with the Oscars. I love Slumdog Millionaire. It's actually I'm doing spoiler alert on my channel i'm doing a top 100 movies of all time my favorites not the best just my personal Mm -hmm. favorites um and honestly slumdog millionaire made the top 25 it's one of my favorite movies i just love it in every way i love all the i love all the lights and the colors and the cinematography and i love all that part of it but what i love the most about it is you have two characters who are who are kind of protected from the the evils that are around them because of their love for each other. And to me, it is such a hopeful film uh, that, that their love for each other is what gives them hope throughout the whole film. And this is not, I said in my review that there, this movie does not have a cynical bone in its body. It is not, it's not a realistic movie. It's not a gritty movie. It's a hopeful movie. And you have to accept this conceit of, 
you know, him being on this game show and whatever. I totally did. I totally bought it. And it was actually kind of a landmark movie for me personally, because, you know, I've talked about where I was in 2008. This was mm -hmm. actually, aside from Schindler's List, which I saw at school, this was the first already movie that I'd ever really seen. <laughs> I know that might sound crazy, but my, my friends just loved it so much. And they were like, no, you have to see it. And so I, I went and saw it and I was blown away. And the thing about it that I realized is that you could have a movie that was mature, that wasn't necessarily offensive. Like the, the, those two weren't necessarily the same. Like I, I agree this movie is for adults, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily garish and, and, uh, you know, offensive i don't know mm -hmm. so that was actually a big moment so then i realized you know what i need to decide for myself and not let the ratings board decide for me what mm -hmm. i see and so <laughs> but i don't i love all the performances and i love the dancing at the end and i love the music and i love uh i mean i don't know i just love it i think it's a great movie <laughs> and uh, so yeah there mm -hmm. you go that's my number one um I wish we could have ended on Ponyo because we were such in agreement. Um, no, I don't, I'm not going to go too into it. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Slumdog Millionaire. I, I respect that it is your number one pick. Seems like it's a very, you know, sort of um, important movie in your personal history as a movie lover. And I think that's great. Um, I could go into the details of why I don't like it, but I, I don't really feel like doing that considering <laughs> it's your number one and we're trying to celebrate what we love. So I'm just going to say it's not for me. Um, I think it, it may be similar to what we were talking before in our disagreements. I think the tone is just certain tonal things that work for some people, don't for others. Um, what I will agree with is the decision, your decision to not let your, your movie go and be guided by the rating system and the MPAA. Yeah. And, I, and I think anyone, because that organization is a little whack. And I think anyone who is interested in movies and in watching good movies should really uh, not be guided by the rating system's sort of arbitrary rules really about what is and isn't appropriate and rather, you know, listen to people who they trust, who see movies, like maybe listen to you or to other uh, critics or, or overall movie people, maybe a relative that they know that loves to go to the movies can tell them what, what the content is because it goes both ways. There's a lot of things that are rated R that, that are more appropriate and or, you know, that are not morally reprehensible or anything like that. And there are other things that are rated PG or PG-13 that I sometimes feel a little, uh, yeah. you know, I have questions about. So I think Agreed. it's really, it's something that unlike, I mean, rather like the education system, it's something that needs reforms. So maybe when I fix education, yeah. I will move on to rating system. <laughs> I actually started to research it and learn. Some of the things are so ridiculous, you know, like it makes no difference whether a couple, just an example, whether a couple is married or in a committed relationship, you know, or like, is it like a one night stand, which come on, that's got to make some difference in like, in the, in, in the sensuality, you know, like in the, it's just gotta sure. make a difference. And, and that, but like, there's ridiculous 
rules about like where the sheet can be on a on a character mm -hmm. like ridiculous there's like ridiculous rules about blood which to me i i just think is ridiculous like that is I, the, the thing that drives me crazy because a movie like hitman with just a couple scenes like a little bit of blood might get an r and yeah. then movies in which people are machined down by the thousands if there's no blood you get the pg-13 so it's ridiculous. yeah it's, it's i mean yeah you can have a movie I mean, they do it so you know movies like the hunger games or whatever uh mm -hmm. can uh, even though you have children killing other children uh it, it can get pg-13 mm -hmm. uh because of this skillful way of the, the not showing the blood and stuff and to me like i think that's actually in a way sort of more violent mm -hmm. uh to yeah. have no blood uh because it's sort of dehumanizing the mm -hmm. the situation which is in a way i kind of more offensive yeah i totally agree with you and it's 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 changing you know the human relationship to violence really because yeah. because you know blood makes us react in a specific way yeah. for a reason like you know it it's a, violence is is violent it's yeah. it's has you know when it doesn't feel as such it's you can get into certain problems i think yeah and and i don't know like language i i think that uh that it's ridiculous that a movie like the king's speech for one scene that's for humor um is rated the same rating as like the wolf of wall street with like mm -hmm. 600 f words you know you're like yeah ridiculous and, yeah and and then you have the teenage movies with you know movies about teenagers I feel like most teenagers in America use foul language and then yeah. they can't really see these movies that are like, you know, they speak to their lives, to their, to their, you know, what they're feeling at the moment. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. I, I just think that you should be empowered. There's so many great resources out there. There's screen it. There's the parental guidance reviews and IMDB. There's so many great resources that you can, you can be your own MPA. You can decide for yourself what bothers you because there are some people that really are bothered by language and that's totally i respect that no problem then just but just just do your own research and make your own choices i do that i didn't see deadpool i didn't see uh logan you know like i i make my own choices and i stand by them and that's fine um and so i but i i don't like it's my choice i'm not yeah. just relying on some nameless board to make my choices so there you go <laughs> that's our little spiel that about that slumdog millionaire everybody <laughs> and uh yeah and you should all see slumdog at least give yeah. it a shot and yeah. see what you think because uh, it's just a movie that i love so um so yeah uh, and it has 91 percent on rotten tomatoes so mm -hmm. what is your number one uh, my number one is a movie called Synecdoche, New York. And that is the first uh, sort of directorial debut of Charlie Kaufman, who was a very well-known screenwriter before this. Um, he wrote Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, and he won the Oscar for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And then he pivoted into uh, directing, directing, not just writing, and I think Synecdoche, New York, it's a pretty divisive movie, but I think in the years since 2008, it has become a little bit of conventional wisdom, at least with a certain um, group of, of cinephiles, I guess, to call it a, a masterpiece of, of the best movie of 2008. 
I like to be a contrarian, but in this case, I have to agree with them. Um, this movie stars Philip Seymour Hoffman as a theater director who gets a grant to make whatever play he wants to do. And he decides to make a play that feels real, that, you know, really speaks about life. And so he decides to recreate life as closely as possible. And so that means that he, there's an actor who's going to play him and his life and his wife. And then he, that's not real enough. So then suddenly there is an actor who's playing him as an actor. And then there's an actor who's playing him as a director, directing that actor, like he's doing in real life. And so things start to spiraling in that way. And the play starts to become bigger and bigger. And then suddenly he's like recreating the whole world in miniature in order to capture reality and things get really surreal and existential from there because it's a Charlie Kaufman screenplay and it's uh I'm not gonna say that it's a movie for everyone but I think it's a movie that has something really big to say it feels to me like a movie that is bigger than itself that there's a lot about you know life our relationship to storytelling to reality to to our feelings uh, turned into this sort of uh, it's interesting because it's a movie about trying to recreate reality that is not very realistic it has a lot of surreal elements to it and it doesn't really feel like real life so i know it, it strikes me as a one-of-a-kind movie and a movie that mm-hmm. i really i feel like i have to see it a thousand more times before i can really start to unpack it and that's i think that i love about certain movies that you can just keep thinking about them and, and, and not trying to solve them, but trying to understand them and, and, and mm. trying to really listen to what they have to say. And sometimes it's, you know, it requires more than one listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've only seen this the one time just yesterday. And so, you know, I haven't had time to really sit on it a long time, but I didn't love it, but I see why, you love it. <laughs> and I see why it could maybe grow on me. Uh, it's really interesting. It's really different. Uh, it's a lot to kind of take in. Um, why is it called Synecdoche, New York? Um, so Synecdoche is, I think it's a play on words, right? Because he lives in Synecdoche, which I think, or something like that, which is an actual town in upstate New York. And that's where he lives. But Synecdoche is a, is a writing what do you call it, a writing element, a writing tool, sort of like a, you know, like alliteration and that sort of thing. I don't know what the name is for that sort of device, but it's basically when you have uh, something uh, small that stands in for something bigger, like a word that stands in for a, for a bigger phrase or something like that. So it's a play on the fact that he's sort of creating a little life that stands in for a bigger life, I think is what that means. Interesting. And the okay. title. So it's a complicated title because it's a complicated movie. Like you say, it's a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. And I, f- I wish that they had made the lead character a little more likable. I think I would have found it a lot more engaging if I had liked him better. But he's right. kind of not very nice. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't hate it. It's not awful, but it just... I, I, I wrote, I said, this is not my brand of existential film. <laughs> yeah. but I, and I see why people, but I see why people love it. Um, I mean, the one I thought of, it's kind of, sort of similar, that's more my brand, um, is something like The Truman Show. 
which I think mm. kind of sort of deals with some of these themes of sort of existential, but like Truman's such a, a you know, about life and, and like this constructed mm-hmm. life thing kind of thing. But like Truman's such a likable character in the end, you're just like, yes, yeah, you did it. You know, you broke free from, from this and it's very exciting and, and, uh, right. and very sweet and funny. Um, and so that, that's kind of more my brand, I think, but I'm open to like, this was just the first watch for this. And so I don't know if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it makes sense. I think, I think I can understand anyone not liking this movie because it is, it feels so personal to who Charlie Kaufman is. And I think if you're, if it's, if he's just not your style, then you're not going to be into the movie. And the unlikable protagonist is, I think at this point, one of the most, because he's so personal in his movies and so autobiographical, you get the sense that he has like this sort of, uh, you know, self hate sort of thing about himself or self deprecation that he struggles with. And he puts that in his movies and it's definitely in here. A lot of it is about, uh, you know, this guy who's, who, who has these sort of neuroses about his own life and being able to live it and, and who he wants to present himself as being and who he actually is. Uh, but yeah, but but I, I see what you mean. And I think, um, I guess what I can say about it is that even if it might not be a pleasurable movie or necessarily enjoyable, I think there's a lot to parse out and a lot to think about afterwards. Yeah. Uh, it might inform your viewing of, of other movies or I don't know, just your, your your understanding of many things in general. Yeah, I agree with you. It definitely has a lot to talk about for sure. And I respect it on that level for sure. Uh, so I can see why it would be your favorite of this of this year. So there you go. We did it. We both did our, we our top did ten it. <laughs> This was fun. I think uh, we have a really fun, eclectic. Uh, if somebody watched all 20 of these movies, I think they'd have a pretty good experience. Like you get a little bit of practically every genre and practically mm-hmm. every kind of movie and uh and you, i certainly i think get a feel for the the uh the two of us because podcasts aren't aren't interesting to me if they're two people that just like the same stuff that's boring um and so i think it's interesting to have uh to see what we what we agreed on what we have different feelings on and uh and just um uh and have the conversation i think it was really fun so i'm glad to you. hear because we often disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah. So oh, I forgot to say that Schenectady, New York, uh, is at sixty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah. So is, a divisive is, movie. Yeah, divisive. Film. Understandably. <laughs> so all right, there you go. Um, what was your favorite of the ones that I picked? Um, well, I mean, obviously, oh, Ponyo is the one that's in both of our lists. But if I had to pick one that wasn't on my list, it think it would probably be still walking which i think it's a very touching yeah. movie yeah and uh, cool. what did you like the most of the um i think before? probably uh the beaches of agnes i think right. was probably my favorite of, of yeah. yours that was just such a lovely movie so and uh yeah i think that's my favorite so right. there you go all right well thanks again and uh and how can people how can people find you 
Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I love doing these podcasts. And I want to go on the record today because last year we said we would do it and then I flaked out. But this year I will commit to coming back later in the year to talk about our favorite films of 1998. I'm excited because I, you, 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 are, you are a young one. I'm an old fogey. And so 1998 was actually the year I started college. And so, <laughs> so I have, it was actually a big, I watched a lot of movies that year. And uh, so I, I'm excited. That'll be, I'm so excited. That's great. Because I'm going to have to catch up with a lot of movies that I have never seen from 1998. So I'm looking forward to it. Cool. I've got to do my homework. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Coco Hits New York, or you can read my blog, which is Coco Hits New York. No, sorry. I always mess it up. <laughs> CocoHitsNY.wordpress.com. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews on iTunes and on YouTube and on Smiling LDS Girl on social media. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on these, uh, these picks. And if you're outraged that we didn't have The Dark Knight, include in the comments section but uh but uh we'd curious to know what you think of these films and um, i'd be curious to know who's on team ponyo if you're a team ponyo <laughs> then please tweet at us yes yes team ponyo all right great well thanks again and uh we'll we'll definitely uh look forward to talking again soon yes thank you for having me <laughs> bye